Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast. Aaron Portsign with you on a sunny Wednesday afternoon here in Columbus, Ohio. Hope you're doing well. Not sure if you stayed up late last night with the Blue Jackets, but the Blue Jackets get a 6-5 overtime win over the Sharks last night. Johnny Gaudreau, the sixth five-point game in franchise history. Uh, two goals, three assists, including the overtime game winner from Patrick Line. Just a wild game. Blue Jackets uh, down early and then led most of the night, blew a 5-3 lead in the third period. Um, and then they come back and win it in overtime. The two last place teams in the league, uh, two bottom two teams in the league with a Pretty entertaining game. I don't know if it was it wasn't great hockey. Let's not kid ourselves, but it was it was a damn entertaining game. And the Blue Jackets prevail, snapping a four game losing streak. Um, and now the bottom of the standings are, uh, oof, they're a little cluster. The Blue Jackets had a chance to to put some distance there between themselves and. Uh, San Jose and Chicago. Chicago with an out-of-nowhere win over the Blackhawks last night. And then the Blue Jackets beat the Sharks in overtime. So the uh, it's getting it's getting mighty crowded at the bottom. Had a chance to have a five-point gap between both the uh, Blackhawks and the Sharks. And after last night's uh, game, it now reads Columbus in last place at 49 points. San Jose, two up at 51. Chicago, three up at 52. And Anaheim hanging in there at 54. Of course, the Blue Jackets play the Ducks on Friday. They'll play the Kings before that on Thursday. Um, Should be worth noting, the former Blue Jackets uh, goaltender, Jonas Corposalo, 3-0 with a 9.29 save percentage for the Kings. I'd be shocked if he doesn't get the start Thursday against the Mighties. so that'll be something to to watch there. Tall order to play the Kings. They're playing pretty well right now. Um, but uh, the Blue Jackets, of course, have a knack of turning things on at the end of the season. Wondering if, uh, from your, we can talk about whatever you want. Wondering if you threw your fist up in the air in jubilation or if you punched a wall last night when they won 6-5. to five. Um, Other things we can talk about, it's all up to you. But, of course, in Kuhlemans, the first-round draft pick will make his debut later this week for Cleveland. Is expected to, anyways. We can talk about some of the moves that the Brad Larson opened the game with last night. Bemstrom moved up to the top line. Rookie Kent Johnson um, dropped all the way to the, I guess you'd call it the third line. He scored a goal, though. Bemstrom did not have a point on the top line, but but that line, by all accounts, played uh, pretty well. And the Blue Jackets switched up the defensive pairs as well. Uh, Tarasov with his first start in quite a while. And wasn't very, wasn't great. Wondering what you're thinking about him as a full-time NHL goaltender next year. Um, that could be interesting. <laughs> the, uh, you are, you are of course the, the topic here on the front nationwide live room podcast. You can step to the stage. You can send a, a message along via text. I'll try to get to as many as we can. Um, so by all means, go ahead and, and join us. The NHL today announced 
uh, you'll want to know this: that the the draft lottery is May eighth. May eighth, so almost two months away. We've got basically eight weeks. Uh, to think about the fate of ping pong balls that could determine so much for so many teams this year. Um, so May 8th, the lottery, circle that date on your calendars. It will be uh, a big date. Uh, certainly, it's really the date that I think this season has been about since like late November, sadly. Um, anyway, so May 8th is the day. Um, let's get let's get to rolling here again. If you want to ask a question, step up to the stage. You just want to post a comment. We'll we'll try to get to as many as we can. Um, and let's start with Matthew M. Matthew M says, "Hey Aaron, with NFL free agency happening, a thought occurred to me. The NFL draft always happens after free agency. I always thought this was strange. Do you think this would affect the NHL if free agency was before the draft?" Um, so here's what I would say to that: that the these drafts, the NFL draft and the NHL draft, should be viewed quite differently. The NFL draft is more like the NBA draft, immediate help. The NHL draft is more like the baseball draft of future help. And it's just because of the age that you're drafting these guys at. So in the NHL, you're drafting 18-year-olds. I believe the rule in the NFL is you have to be three years removed. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's three years removed from your high school graduating class. So you're drafting 20, 21-year-olds. Okay. Um, the point is you are drafting to fill in more cases in the NFL immediate roster needs. Whereas in the NHL, you're drafting based upon future expectation. Very rarely now, this year where the blue jackets are, if they, they stay at 32, their, their chances of getting a player that's going to step right in next year is pretty good. One of the top three guys, maybe Leo Carlson takes a year. But if they get Bedard or Fantilli, that's going to be one of their centers for next year. And that would, of course, affect how you do free agency. But 30 of these, or 29 at least of these teams, are not drafting for immediate help. And so free agency and, and, and the draft, they correlate, but the draft sort of correlates to free agency three years after it's happened, if that makes any sense. Um, that's why the NHL draft, I, some people love it. Some people don't get that into it because it's more like high school football recruiting age-wise to college than it is college to pro drafting. And that's why there's so wide a variance in, in how these guys turn out. You don't usually see it at the top of the draft much anymore. There are still busts. But it's you just look at any draft year, and it's amazing how many first-round draft picks don't make it. Now, that correlates to how many high school football stars don't make it to the NFL and how much of that gets sorted out along the way. That's really what the, the parallel is. You're drafting 18-year-old kids. That is, that is much more volatile than drafting a 21-year-old who's been – playing semi-pro for three years, and you've got a, a chance to really see who they are and what it looks like. So that's what I would say is, is different there. Um, I hope that, hope that makes sense. Jonathan C. says, is there a strategy to tank well? Like, how do you tank but keep morale up among the CBJ stars? Well, and this is just it, and, and not to take up arms for NHL commissioner Gary Bettman, but so many people 
um, just started pelting him with uh, with rotten fruit when he said that teams don't tank. I think what he meant was they literally don't tank. They literally don't try to lose games. And if you watch that Sharks-Blue Jackets game last night, certainly those are two teams that if you just looked at the standings, you'd say, well, yeah, Connor Bedard, they're tanking. You could not watch that game and tell me they're tanking. Again, it wasn't good hockey at all. I mean, my God, some of it was was laughably bad. But they didn't quit. Neither team did. I mean, both of those teams wanted to win that game badly and played like it. So it's a weird this is such a weird thing and we've we've gone over it a bunch, but it, it we I you know, it doesn't ever get any easier to really get your arms around, but like this is a time where management and the fans are almost working against the players, where the, the players are defiant and they're wanting to still win. When everybody else is saying, you know, guys, like eh, you don't have to win this game. It, it doesn't really benefit you. I've actually spent part of the morning going back, looking through some previous Blue Jackets seasons and all of the many times we've been told that strong finishes were going to lead to a springboard into the next season. I mean, 05-06, they go 9-3-1. and Boy, this is really going to help us in 2006-2007. Except they started 16-2. and In 11-12, they finished 5-1. What a way to finish the season. Now, this is a springboard into next season, which they started 5-12-4. 2012-13, you remember that great finish that took them out of Nathan McKinnon? I mean, that was still... That was an incredible run, and they damn near made the playoffs. And it was going to to make it. It just told the world that they were going to be a competitive team the next year. They started five and ten. Twenty thirteen fourteen finished six two and one. Started the next season six fifteen and two. And maybe the crowning example is twenty fourteen fifteen when they finished twelve zero and one. I think that might have been Connor McDavid's draft year. 12 0 and 1 at the end of 2014 15. Look out for these guys next year. 0 and 8. It just it is so far from April to October and so much changes that I'm not saying you should lose games intentionally. They certainly aren't. I'm not saying if tanking is right or wrong. I'm just saying that the idea that one season serves as a springboard into another is a complete and total myth. And don't let them tell you otherwise. Um, let's go to the step to the stage here. We've got uh, Bradford H. Bradford H. with us. Bradford, go Bradford, ahead. You're in front of me. Hey, can you hear me? I got you. I got you. Loud and clear. Awesome. Uh, so hopefully this is a little bit different take on uh, on the tank conversation. Um, I'm a really like longtime fan of this team, and I've always kind of felt conflicted about the branding. Uh, you know, as a as a kid, I feel like the the rollout was a little bit weird, and now like the jerseys are super sharp, like it looks nice, but it's just kind of generic. I don't really know. Like I'm I'm not from Columbus, and I don't live there, so I don't really know like how the rest of the fan base feels about it. But I've always been a huge fan of the third jerseys. Like I feel like the cannon, and uh, you know, anytime that you ask people about Columbus as a team, I feel like the cannon is the first thing that comes up. And that's yeah, such a big yeah. part of our identity. Color scheme is unique. Anytime that I wear any Columbus gear, you know, I feel like most people think that it's like 
Patriots gear or something. Like no one ever really recognizes it as Columbus. And uh, I listened to Frank Cervelli's podcast. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of interesting because from a hockey perspective, he felt like uh, Columbus was probably one of the best landing spots for Bedard. But as far as like branding and for the whole league, he was kind of down on Columbus, like basically for that reason, just saying that it's a franchise that feels a bit anonymous. And I don't know if team success would change that. Um, do you think that the team has any appetite to kind of do a major rebrand around the team anytime soon? And like, especially if we were to land a guy like Bedard, if that opens an opportunity, like, do you think that I'd be curious what you think personally. And then if you think that the fan base has any appetite for that as well. Well, I, I don't well, get that don't sense. Get that sense. I mean, I think I the sweater the, the, the crest is something you don't mess with. Mess with. They changed it from the original one, thank God, because that was a rough look. The, uh, the CBJ with the electric green going through the middle of it. I don't mind it. I don't think it's like super unique or different. I get the Patriots confusion, I guess. Um, you know what? I would say this about the anonymous part. That's what Connor Bedard could play a role in solving, right? I think the reason that it's so anonymous is is there's only so much marketing you can do for a team that's won one playoff series in 23 years. Now, 100%. having said that, you look at this building, the marketing locally is not a problem. They're selling out games still fairly frequently. And you look around the league, San Jose's gone two or three years now without a playoff team. And that building was damn near empty last night. At least on TV, it looked like there were thousands and thousands of empty seats. Something we were told would never happen in the Shark Tank. Um, what's what's occurred here in Columbus, I think, is mostly on-ice anonymity rather than marketing anonymity. And hockey's kind of a, a uh, the fourth league in this country anyways. Maybe it's the fifth behind NFL NFL offseason, uh, NBA and, and MLB. Um, so you got to win. And, but they are beloved here. I don't, I don't get this. I, people like the third jersey, but I don't get the sense that, that there is a demand to completely overhaul uh, their look and, and all of those things. Um, I think the larger appetite is maybe to rename the city of Columbus um, rather than to rename the Blue Jackets. But I haven't even heard that for quite a while. So, yeah, uh, Connor Bedard coming here, lifting this team to new heights is probably the best and quickest way to shake the tag of being the most anonymous, one of the most anonymous teams in one of the most anonymous leagues. I remember a story Doug McLean used to tell in the early days, uh, going through the Toronto airport, somebody recognizing him from his Florida days and saying, where are you now, Doug? And he says, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. And they, and they have a brief chat. And as they walk away from each other and security says, well, hang in there, bud. You'll get back to the NHL eventually. And he didn't mean it as a shot. He just didn't realize that Columbus had an NHL team. Um, I don't think that pervades anymore. I think the series went over Tampa, put them on the map with some uh, people who were barely fans. Um, 
but they still have some work to do. And there's really nothing that accomplishes that uh, quite like winning. Uh, let's go to, thanks for the question, Bradford. Let's go to, to Philip N. Philip, you are on the Front and Nationwide podcast. Hey, um, so I had a quick question about um, organizational philosophy. Uh, okay. I, know, I know you've talked about how um, how Mishkov is potentially something that we might not see drafted unless the Blue Jackets fall to like five. They may choose a center at four. Um, <laughs> my question would be, if we fall out of that top two or three, where it looks like you really have a center that could potentially come in now or a year from now, are do you think the Blue Jackets would, as an as like their organizational philosophy, switch to a longer term plan in comparison to um, how they appear to be talking about things now, which is using that? LA first to build up the team in a quicker manner and perhaps not um, going as much the prospect route as trying to get like experienced vets to supplement the young core. Um, it's it's a it's a good question. I my sense is that having signed Gaudreau, having extended Line A, they feel. Like they have a team with Wierenski coming into his prime here. I think they feel like now is the time to not push the pedal all the way to the floor here, but to get better now. Like the building, at some point you have to stop. You have to stop acquiring things to build with and actually get to building. I think that's where they're at now. See how the lottery goes. the lottery will tell them what they're going to get out of this year. That's not up to them. I mean, within reason. If they're picking five, it's a different draft for them than if they're picking one or two. If they're picking one or two, I think we know where it's going. And yeah, that late first round pick is going to be used most likely to, if they can. I mean, it takes two to tango, as, as everybody says. In today's world, sometimes it takes three to tango. Uh, because of the salary cap implications. But I think they'd like to move that pick to get immediate help. But if they if they don't add a center, they can't add immediate help center with that first first round pick, then the second round the second first round pick, now you have a question as what to do with that. Is that for a defenseman? Is that for a centerman? Um, I think they recognize that, that the idea of letting this group of centers grow into something more is a pipe dream. Uh, Sillinger is going to get better for sure. Johnson may move back to center. Um, but I, I don't think counting on Jack Roslovic to be a top six center is seen as a viable plan for a playoff team. And so something must be done there. Uh, not just with him, but but to replace him. Um, so that's why the, this draft is one of the many reasons this draft is so important to them. 
and why it changes so much if they pick first or second overall or third overall. Um, but I think I think one two is where you want to be in this draft. Um, but those are all things to sort of play out. That's why May eighth is such a huge day for this organization. Uh, thanks for the question there. Uh, Paul B, you are on front and nationwide. Go ahead, please. How's it going, Porty? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Who'd have thunk at the trade deadline what the Blue Jackets would trade their two best goalies? Oh. Who'd yes. have thunk it? Two best goalies gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know what? I'm happy, for, uh, I'm happy for Corpus Allo, uh, to be honest with you. Because, you know, I, I've been saying all year that the numbers that these goalies are putting up in Columbus should be graded on a curve because of the play that's going on in front of them, especially early in the season. But he's played really, really well, and I'm glad he's he's, he's showing that in, in L.A. as well. But go ahead, Paul. No, he, he certainly is. I think he's, what, 3-0 and and only giving up two goals each game. So yeah. good for him. But um, yeah. I was curious on this, uh, <laughs> how – what you might be hearing in the background regarding the whole television uh, thing that's going to be happening. Was it Diamond, is it Diamondback Sports Group that's going to declare bankruptcy or something like that? Yeah, Diamond Sports Group. I've read uh, multiple stories on this, and I always end up uh, – this is nothing against the people writing the stories. I just end up more confused than, than clear by the time I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading it, we had a story on the athletic website. I would point you to um, just recently that was was really good. Um, of all the things I've read, it sort of laid it out as, as, as well as any of it does. The basically, if I may boil it down, hockey and the NBA are in a decent shape with this, even if bankruptcy is is declared because their seasons are almost over. Baseball, in some markets, is going to get sketchy. Uh, they're going to be on TV. There's money to be made. Somehow, they're going to be they're going to end up on TV. But it's going to change, and it's probably going to cost viewers more. Um, here, this is a story by Daniel Kaplan. Um, I'll tweet it here again. Uh, RSN Armageddon is, is part of the headline. Okay, but. Um, it is changing, and it, it's probably going to cost, surprisingly, not surprisingly, you more. Um, but these games are going to be on TV one way or the other. Teams just benefit. There's money to be made, so it ends up there one way or the other. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult in the in the short term. But basically, they're 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 trying to reconfigure this whole business of regional sports networks. Gotcha. Um, I think the age of streaming has made everything a little more confusing for everybody. Okay. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of different, uh, I don't know, kind of solutions or that have been proposed out there. People talking about, you know, ESPN Plus working a deal with the NHL to start doing in-market games, which I wouldn't yeah. be opposed to. I think that would be a good idea. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's a million different ways that this can go. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of, of who grabs it, who's got, you know, the uh, the quick potential to make the most money and has the infrastructure in place to pounce. ESPN makes a ton of sense, but I also, I don't pretend to know how all of this works in that world. I'm, I'm not of that world. I'm obviously <laughs> a 
an old print guy. Yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. Well, good deal. Yeah, I just was curious if you had heard anything. Uh, you know, talking to the other guys around the uh, around the press booth. Yeah, I just uh, tweeted out a link to that story if you want to give it a read. Will do. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Paul. All right, Austin W. You are on front and nationwide. Austin, go ahead. Okay, I have a major question here that I've wanted for a long time. Now, okay, the Ottawa Center sale thing is very interesting. And I was reading that the increase in revenue for the Blue Jackets is way up from last year. And so I was wondering, like, does that affect the value of the franchise? And if so, does this seem like something that could potentially like affect the ownership here? Like, seeing that Ottawa could potentially be sold for like $800 million and seemingly the value of the Columbus Blue Jackets last year was like maybe around $600 million. Could there potentially be like a sale or a change of ownership? And I don't know, like I just don't know enough about that group in Columbus there. And I was also wondering, because I tried to read a little bit about the revenue of the team and it looks like it maybe like a hundred and something million per year um is this team profitable um in any way shape or form and how does that contribute to like the league-wide um revenue sharing yeah um so a few years ago there were whispers that maybe jimmy haslam was interested in buying the blue jackets i poked that haslam of course owns the browns the uh, crew uh i think he's part owner of the milwaukee bucks now as of recently the the response I got is that McConnell is not even listening to offers because he wants to win a Stanley Cup. It is a, a locally owned team. It was founded by a local man, John H. McConnell. His kid now owns it. John P. McConnell is the majority owner. Um, I don't think it changes anything because I don't think there was an appetite to sell. It's not like they were waiting for it to become more profitable to sell. Um, having said that, people don't own teams forever. So at some point it could come to that. I don't think there's a direct correlation between that. They've sold tickets out the wazoo because of Johnny Gaudreau. Um, if you look, I think they've sold out three of their last four home games. That's not something you would typically associate with the team that is dead last in the standings. Uh, Tuesday, uh, Saturday night against the, the St. Louis Blues during NCAA tournament. A season or at least conference championship season uh, that could be in previous years a tough sell the building was sold out um, those tickets are sold so what to me where this goes next year ticket wise um, if they get Bedard, I don't think you have any issues at all if they don't I think it's curious it'll be curious to see what happens to the attendance because the people who are going to games right now have already bought these tickets. I don't think they have huge walk-ups right now for the last place team in the league. It's a fun place to see a game. Good night on the town. Not not saying that, um, but not a big ticket right now because of their struggles on the ice. And yet most of the tickles, tickets have already been sold. Um, I Are they profitable? It, that is something that's really hard to get your your fingers on. I mean, it is, they don't turn their numbers over to us. Obviously they don't show us the balance sheet. The, the league would have that information. I, I don't honestly know 
where they're at. I think they're doing okay based upon their attendance and other things. Um, and it's been a good year for them at the box office, and that makes a huge difference. But but I just I can't give you a clear number because those numbers are not are not public, regrettably. Interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, yeah, just looking at, you know, if it's $110 million of revenue and it's salary caps 84, like, can do some quick math, but seemingly not profiting, I guess. But there's other factors, I guess. My next my next yeah. part of this question would be, sure. Um, I and I'm sure there's something out there. I honestly don't really, the Blue Jackets are irrelevant to me. Like, I live in Alberta. Um, I love your writing, and that's the only reason why I fall along with the Blue Jackets at all, honestly. But, um, and I may have missed this somewhere along the line, but just with all the articles about, like, Vegas and Seattle kind of coming into the league and stuff, do you have something about that? from the past about Columbus, like entering the league and how that expansion process went down. I mean, obviously it was a very different time back then. The expansion fee was way lower and uh, Columbus just seems to me like a, almost like off the radar kind of place. And yeah, I don't know if you have an article or something like that, I would love to be able to kind of go back and read that. Yeah. I mean, so at the time, oh, back in the, in the day, uh, we certainly wrote a, a lot about it. I want to say that the, the expansion fee was, I'm getting my numbers crossed up. It's either 75 million or 150 million. And McConnell stepped forward and, and paid it. I think it was 75 million. Um, and the maybe the building was 150 million, which is incredible given it's a gorgeous building still. Um, it was a different time then. They are also the players that they had to pick from were it was much more restrictive than it is than it was for Vegas or Seattle. So not only was the cost lower, but you knew you were going to be a rough, rough team for the first few seasons until you could build it up. Um, obviously, I've not written those stories for quite a while. You could go back through Columbus Dispatch archives um, and and find all the reporting that was done at the time. It was a different time in Columbus, too, where the city was trying desperately to to lure a major league sports team. And if it weren't for McConnell stepping forward and saying, we're building the arena, we're getting a team, it probably never happens. It, well, it never happens. I'll just be honest with you. Um, and he brought him here and, and figured they could make it work. And I think there's a lot of people that are forever indebted to him. But it was, they were the, they came in with Minnesota in the third year of a four-team expansion with Atlanta and Nashville coming in uh, before them. And it wasn't nearly as costly then, but but boy, it was to be not just the restrictions placed on players you could, you could draft in the expansion draft, but having coming in on the, the third wave along with Minnesota, the league was pretty well picked apart at that point. Um, so it was so different from what Vegas and Seattle were able to do. Um, but yeah, not, not a ton of, of reporting on that lately because it was just so long ago, but Austin, thanks for the question. And thanks for the, the kind words. I do appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Aaron. Uh, we'll go back to the, uh, to the, to the uh, chat comments. Again, if you want to ask a question, step up to the stage. We've got a bunch of chat comments here. We're going to rip through here. Kyle Z says, I look back at the past five seasons dating back to 27, 18 and noted 
the number of teams that changed head coaches and or general managers after finishing in the bottom of the league. Surprisingly, only seven of the 25 teams changed head coaches and only three of the 25 changed general managers. Obviously, there were repeats, Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, New Jersey. With that being said, this bodes well for the futures of Larson and Carolina. Why do NHL decision makers show a greater level of patience compared to other professional team sports? At what point does a franchise stability turn to conformability? Um, so I would, I, I'd have to go back and look at the names. In a lot of those cases, I think coaches were hired heading into seasons with the expectation that this was going to be a rebuild. And so finishing last probably wasn't a surprise or wasn't pinned on the coach. I'm not sure what's going to happen here. I don't have any sense that Yarmo Kekalainen is in trouble. I think it would surprise people if the Blue Jackets didn't evaluate their coaching after the season. Of course they do. Uh, of course they will, with finishing last in the league. And we'll see where it goes with uh, with Brad Larson. Um, but yeah, it, it uh, you know, Buffalo, Edmonton, some of those teams, my God, the struggles that they had just getting traction uh, going forward. And you hope Columbus isn't in the early stages of, of that. But, um, but yeah, this is not, this season is unpredicted. I think, like, just going into last season, I don't think they expected to be very good last season. And under Larson, they kind of overachieved. Now, this season, as we've said many times, they're hanging um, hanging all of this, or much of it, on the injuries, which can be um, a tricky proposition, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see who survives and who doesn't. I don't know that there's... There's a rule. The the NHL used to fire coaches. God damn, the Devils fired their coach. Who am I thinking of? Um, when they were in first place one year in the playoffs. Looted. Yeah, I can't. Um, yeah, I mean, NHL coaches I used to get fired more than than uh, any other coaches with great regularity. It used to be like two and a half years average for an NHL coach. Just brutal. Um, Stephen L says, Aaron, in all the years of covering the CBJ, in your opinion, where does the season rank in futility? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, to me, what, what makes this one so, uh, to use your, your word, uh, futile is just, you know, expectations versus reality. And that's what made the early, some of the early seasons under McLean, I think so bitter is because there was so much so much trumpeted as to how good they're going to be only to fall flat. Last year was almost a celebration when they finished almost 500 because you, there were such low expectations, but then between that season and signing Gaudreau and re-signing line a, it whipped up expectations this year. This is not the worst season they've ever had, but it's one of the worst from in terms of expectations versus reality. Um, so I, to me, there have been other uglier seasons. Um, some of those, like, 05, 06 was just brutal. Um, the year that, uh, I think it was 10, 11 with uh, Carter, when the Nash, was there, it was 11, 12, where, when Nash was, was um, the whole Nash trade came to, 
to public light. That got ugly. Um, those were particularly ugly, but this is right there in some ways. Um, sad that there's so many that can be sort of weighed against each other. Sean G says, Texier interview update, please. Are people getting ahead of themselves stating that Texier is coming back? Hopeful talk from Yarma or solid confirmation from Texier. Um, well, I think there are some people, Sean, who are not going to believe that Texier is coming back until they see him in a number 42 sweater at training camp. And there may be some who, even when they see him in a number 42 sweater in training camp, uh, wonder how long he's staying. Every word is that he's coming back. He has told Yarmo Kekalainen that he is coming back and Yarmo is taking him at face value. He has told me that he will talk when he doesn't want to talk about next season out of respect for his current team. I get it. Until this season is finished in Switzerland. Uh, that's a rather respectful thing to do, I would say. Um, so I don't think he'd be making plans, even tentative ones, to to do interviews with uh, media members from Columbus if he didn't expect to come back. So that is the expectation. I'll, I won't tell you how to feel um, about how much you want to trust that until you see him. But uh, that is that is the expectation for now. That's that's really all I can say at this point. I'm not holding back anything. It's just that's all we really know. Uh, Joe P says, sorry, Presto, no. It's hard to be mad when your team wins. The Cavs tanked from 2018 to 21. We now see the benefits of that, but I still didn't want to see my team lose, even though I knew full well, full well what they were doing. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, Johnny H., back in the day, the CBJ were criticized for rushing Ryan Johansson's development. Bernard and Fantilli so far ahead of where Ryan Johansson was that it's apples and oranges, or is there the same risk? No, they are uh, so far ahead of where Ryan Johansson was. Yes, I mean Johansson was seen as a as a highly draftable, desirable draft asset for sure, but he wasn't seen as a, as an immediate um, NHL roster impact player. Both of these guys are. Yes, uh, looking at the current roster, who do you see as a potential captain after Boone? Jesus, Donald F says. Um, man, after Boone, life after Boone, that will be strange because it, it hasn't been a thing for so long. Um, yeah, good question. I'd have to sit on this. I'd have to think about this one a bit. It's typically a player you draft. It's a guy you raise. I mean, is it, it's a tough one. Um, you know, to me, he's not even here yet, but the the kid who has that sort of presence, he's currently captain in Moose Jaw. Um, you know, Matejchuk has those sort of qualities, but I mean, we're talking several, several years away. Uh, Karen Case says, AP, you're echoing. Um, excellent. Um, this guy's named Aaron P, so he must... He must make good points. Uh, what do you think Bedard's impact will be on this on a team this bad? Obviously, the injuries are plentiful this season, but it seems this team is pretty far off from being a legitimate contender based on our D and goalie play. Also, is Bedard enough? Is Bedard 
whoops, enough of a talent to pull in free agents, or is it more of a case of players wanting to play for a more winning culture? Great question. Um, yeah, so this is going to sound crazy, but I don't think I'm alone in this. I don't think the Blue Jackets are that far away, although first we need to define what you mean by contender. Are we talking team to make the playoffs, or are we talking team to win the Stanley Cup? There are ways from that, obviously. Um, that is, that's a, a huge leap from where they are now. That's a huge leap from where they have ever been. So I'm not going to say they're, they are even on the radar for being a Stanley Cup winning contender. Um, I don't think them being a playoff team next year is crazy with the right summer and with a dose of good luck and good health next year. I think this team can be actually quite a bit better next year. You're talking about a team that if you just go through the forwards, um, they're going to add one hopes Bedard, Fantilli, or Carlson. They're going to add Voronkov. So you've got two out of four new centers right there. They're going to have a different back end. Juracek's going to join the fray. There's going to be growing pains to all of this. To your point, the goaltending has to be dramatically better. And this is this is why Elvis Merzlikens may be the most important player to the franchise this summer. It's got to get they got to get that fixed. Both the play in front of Merzlikens and his play in net. Is he ready to be a serious NHL difference maker in goal? Um, it's just been way too inconsistent. Now there are reasons for that. Some that are hard to not be sympathetic about. You all know what they are, um, but that is a huge question for this team. Goalies are completely unpredictable from one year to the next. Many of them, and who's to who's to say that you, that Elvis can't come back and have a great season next year? But he needs one, and this team needs him to be to be better than he's ever been and more consistent than he's ever been. Um, so I don't think they're that you add Wierenski back into the mix. You, you're looking at adding Texier, Voronkov, the first round draft pick. So you've got three new bodies at forward. You've got one hopes a bounced back and revigorated cylinder. You know, there's still going to be a lot of hope in the equation here, which is a risky way to do business for sure. But I think it's, it's also reasonable uh, for you to expect some of these players to, to improve at their age. And after some of the stuff they've, they've gone through. Uh, Chris B says, as Lars, the head coach opening night next year. Well, I don't know yet. Um, let us all watch together. Shall we? I don't want to just, throw out a guess either. Certainly that's not something they're going to talk about in advance, but I think everything will be reconsidered when the season is over. Um, Philip W says, do you think the league could someday televise the players off season three on three games or roller hockey games? I would give a healthy sum to watch Bedard and Johnson do three on three together. Yeah, that would be something. eh? I've actually got the name of the rink here. Um, North shore winter club. 
I think that'd be a, a fun summer assignment. Uh, Pamela W. says, hey, Porty, love your work. Well, thank you, Pamela. Thanks for doing these. Consider hindsight is 2020 and the Blackhawks struggle this year. Do you think they would have preferred your check and our top pick this year? Or instead, their pick this year and ours? I hope that makes sense. Our top pick this year. Instead of their top pick and ours. Hmm. I'm not... Uh, no, I'm not sure. Swing that uh, question through again and maybe explain it better for my feeble mind. We've got a few minutes left here before we wrap, Pam. Sorry, I'm not not quite grabbing it. Austin, uh, Terry J. Suggests, suggests that Austin W. is a Canadian spy. <gasps> Wait a minute. Is he a balloonist? Is he floating over Montana as we speak? Um, Josh T. says, what do you expect the right side of the defense to look like next year? Presumably, your check will be up. They also have Goody, Boakfast, Peak, and Blank signed at least through next season. Do you foresee someone getting moved, or will we have righties playing on the left side? So, yeah, something to look for. We've talked about how the Blue Jackets are going to try to reshuffle that that um, that defense because they've they've got too many bodies, and you know I'm not saying they've got too many top four guys. They don't have enough top four guys. They've got a lot of candidates to play there, especially on the right side. Typically, right side defensemen have been a commodity in this league. The Blue Jackets have a bunch of them. Can they flip uh, some players around? Can they move uh, bodies out and and bulk up the back end? They need a left side D uh, for sure to replace Gavrikov, but they also have to sort out the right side. That that blue line is is good to me. The forward group is is really has the potential to be really good, and is going to be exciting to see how it falls into place this summer. The defense is the one that needs a, a rebuild and a remodel um, with some infrastructure changes, and I'm curious to see how that goes over there too. Um, because that something's got to change there to make that make more sense. It doesn't really um, work. Douglas P says, I, I, I think it is concerning that this tank is not by design. Our front office believe this team uh, could compete for the playoffs when there's such a huge disconnect from, from our front office's expectations and the result. Our J.D. Yarmo Larson's job's not in jeopardy. Injuries don't amount for the, don't account for this amount of collapse. Well, you know what they they would say otherwise, whether they're right or not. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. You take Wierenski out of that blue line, a blue line that didn't have a lot to give to begin with. It's a killer. Uh, now you've ripped Gavrikov out there for the final six weeks of the season. You take Voracek, the leading scorer from last year, guy who, by the way, played with Sillinger, been all over Sillinger this year. Can't score, can't buy a goal. Just isn't the play he was last year. He's not playing with the team's leading scorer anymore. Jake was good for his game. Um, you know, Nyquist out, Jenner out, Line out. This team has been devastated by injuries. I'm I'm only willing to hear that to an extent. It does make a difference. Pro players matter in the pros. Of course they do. You can't just throw replacement level players in for 
NHL All-Stars and expect there to not be a drop-off. So it does make a difference. Is that enough of a difference to say that those three men are doing their job up to standard? That is a question for owner John McConnell. But yeah, it's fair. It's certainly fair to ask that. If I'm them, that's the that's the reason I lean on too. Um, the, the argument is this team was freaking dreadful at the start of the season. As ill-prepared as any team I've ever seen uh, defensively. And that has nothing to do with them being healthy or not being healthy. They were absolutely awful defensively. And then the injuries took over, and there's no way to dig out when you've got both hands tied behind your back. So that's what I would say to that. Um, but yeah, that, that that's when people's people get into trouble is when the expectations are so far uh, below the reality. Um, AP, this is from Chris B. Thanks for your time. Yarmo has been known in the past to go off script in the draft. Oh no. One of my nightmare scenarios is CBJ getting the first pick and not taking Bedard. Can you allay my somewhat irrational fears? Thank you. Um, yeah, listen. Um, I don't know Yarmo's draft board. I get the sense that that uh, it it follows. What's the way to say this? I think he's willing to be more unconventional than others. I don't think he's willing to be that unconventional. Um, I think Billy Siren and the scouting group might um, tackle him, drag him under the draft table, and force someone else to go up to the stage and make the pick if Yarmo has any idea that it's going to be somebody other than Bedard. Uh, but I'll say this too. If the Blue Jackets end up picking number two, it is not the end of the world at all because Adam Fantilli is a hell of a player, a hell of a player. And in, in any other year, you'd be delighted to get him. Um, Tim May says, Tim May, listen to me. Tim M says, let's say CBJ win the lottery and get Bedard. Who is your number one offseason acquisition choice? Actually, let me go back. because Somebody asked if, if I thought Bedard had the ability to impact free agents coming here. And I absolutely do. He is one of those one of those guys. There's no question. I don't know what many of you are saying. My God, can he at least do it first before you assign this sort of levity to him in the league? Um, yeah, yeah. But I I can tell you that these are, this is the kind of guy that players want to play with. Uh, he is a lift all boats kind of player. That's why teams are doing what they're doing right now to get him. Um. Okay, what was I saying? Oh yeah. Who who is your number one offseason acquisition choice? Uh, you know, I, I, it's hard to put a name to it because who is going to be available this summer? I'm not excited about Kevin Hayes. Sorry, I know it's uh, Johnny's guy. I I'm thinking to me the bigger calling is a defenseman, not a veteran winger who has I don't know run aground of coaches and previous stops. I, I like. Uh, I like adding defense. I think your forwards, you've got plenty of firepower at forward. You still have some players to grow into roles for sure. Some question marks there, 100%. But you've got pieces there. I think the back end is the one that needs the biggest amount of 
shape. Uh, Jonathan C. says, who should we target in free agency? Um, again, you look at the group of free agent defensemen, it's a little underwhelming. Um, the tricky thing here is, though, I don't think they're adding an all-star defenseman. They're looking for a bridge to their prospects. So think of a veteran player, a two- or three-year deal to play left side um, on the second or the third pair. And I, I think you can go a lot of different ways with that. Um, Tim M. further says, on the Inside Edge episode during the World Juniors, Yarmo said, quote, we would really like to see Bedard wearing our sweater. Well, yes. So I would. that's about as clear as you get from a GM this time of year, but also an obvious comment. Philip N. says, I think they're talking about the, oh, this is about, the question from Pamela, I think Phillips trying to help you. I think they're talking about the option that Chicago's pick would have been unprotected this year if they'd won the lottery. Would you rather have Juracek or Chicago's first this year unprotected? Uh, yes. Okay. Now I got you. Hey, I'm sorry about that. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, you'd rather have this year's, which is why uh, Chicago lottery protected theirs last year. Um Imagine if the Blue Jackets had the first and third, as of right now, first and third spots in the lottery. You'd feel pretty darn good about things, I would think. Um, yeah. Anyways. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, we went almost an hour today, a little longer than we anticipated. Great questions. Great conversation, as always. Um, if you got anything further, uh, feel free to reach me on Twitter. Um, I try to read the comments on the athletic website, stories that are posted. Don't always get to those, but try. And uh, yeah, good chat, good conversation. We'll get back together again next week. You've been listening to the Front End Nationwide podcast on theathletic.com. Thanks so much. Talk to you all soon. Take care.